Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. A phrase we often say at Grace Life is making much of Jesus. But what does that really mean? Is it just worship on a Sunday morning, or can it be a part of our everyday? Join us for our final series of the year on worship. And be sure to subscribe to our new YouTube channel, where you can find our video messages as well as exclusive content that you can't find anywhere else. Now, let's get into this week's message. All right, everybody, welcome to Grace Life. How are you guys doing? As you can tell, things are a little different today. We're in a worship series, but before we get into that, just two quick things I want to point out to you. First of all, when you were coming in the door, you were handed one of these. It's an invite to our Christmas Eve service, letting you know what time they are. But chances are you don't need this, do you, right? You are probably already going to be here. So here's the deal. This is not for the trash, nor is it for the dash of your car. Guess who it's for? It's for a neighbor or a friend or somebody else who needs this. And so here's the deal. There are two times a year that you can invite your neighbors and your friends to church that they are more likely to accept your invitation than every other time. What are those two? Christmas and Easter, there you go. So this is your chance. Ask the Holy Spirit who you should give this to. And uh, we've got thousands for those of you that get a long list of names. For those of you are like, I can't invite just one, I've got too many friends. All the social butterflies, we got stacks of these in the lobby, pick one up and take them out there. For all the introverts, you can just cringe and give it to that one person that's also the introvert. When you go to those Christmas parties and you notice that one person standing in the kitchen by themselves and you, you find yourself standing right beside them and say, hey man, you want to be an introvert at Christmas Eve service with me? All right, anyway, just there you go. It's a lot of fun. Second of all, I want to remind you, this is our last Sunday to pick up one of the uh, bags to take a Christmas meal to a family. Uh, so if you haven't been able to pick yours up yet, just as you're leaving the lobby right outside, right between these doors, pick up one of those bags and let's go bless some folks. We did this, I think, about 150 families for Thanksgiving. And so we're trying to go back to the same families again and show them that we still love them. God still loves them. It's not just a one-time thing. So pick one up on your way out the door. Cool. Well, as I said, we're in a worship series. Today is part three of that. And uh, we, we're doing this series because Grace Life has grown tremendously this year. We've, we've grown by about uh, two-fifths. I would say about two-fifths of the people that are worshiping here were not here in January. And that, that's huge if you think about that in, in any given year. And, and so what that means is when we come together and we worship, uh, there are a lot of people with a lot of questions. Because we, we do some of those things like raising our hands and clapping and every now and then shouting. Of course, it's usually Kent that shouts more than anybody else, but that's kind of how that, yeah. There you go. You're spreading, man, just so you know, because I thought I heard you over here, but you're sitting over there, so... And so anyway, that's why we had Kent Fancher preach last week because, well, not only is our campus pastor, but he was our founding worship pastor here. He's been a worship pastor longer than I've been alive, not picking on him. That was his admission, but just noting the facts. He's been worshiping a long, long time. And so he shared with us last week a message that when we put this series together and we were building this, we knew already that what he was going to share last week was going to really be a part one to what I was sharing today. And so as we were planning this, Kent didn't go off and do his own thing, and then I went and did my own thing. We, we actually worked together because we knew that whatever he was doing was setting me up, and whatever I was doing needed to finish what he was doing. And, and so we began the whole series with one question, what is worship? 
And then for the other three weeks, we want to talk about aspects of worship or type of worship. And so he came and started the idea of hungry worship, that we should, we should be hungry for the presence of God. We should be hungry to experience a supernatural God when we come together. I mean, anybody with me on that one, right? Okay, so coming out of that, what would be the next logical step if we are hungry for worship, if we're hungry to see God move when we come together, that we would express that hunger, right? That we would show God that we were hungry. So today, we're going to talk about expressive worship. And uh, so I'm just going to share a story with you about being expressive because we're, we're expressive people. And we all have these things where when we want something, we express what we want, we show how to get what we want, right? Come on, everybody, you've done this somewhere in your life. I'm going to tell you one of the times I was most expressive was because I was in the most pain. So I went backpacking with some guys in the church. Joe Lamb right there, he is one of them. It was also the last trip you ever went on with us. And I saw, we're not going to say any more about that. But I'm prone to kidney stones. Anybody knows what I'm talking about? That's a pain you do not want, right? Can I get an amen from all those hands? Yeah, no, nobody ever wants to go there. I've known a lady, she has four children. And she's had kidney stones. And she said she'd have kids all day long. So I'm just, that's just a point of reference for you right there, okay? So anyway, here's the thing. We're backpacking. We're in the woods. We're about two hours from the car on the last day. And the first thing I can say to that is, praise God, it was the last day. Because <laughs> if you know the pain, yeah. Anyway, and, and so I started feeling a little something like right back here. Yeah, uh, the, all the people who know anatomy are like, uh-oh. And, and then it just started spread. I turned to Joe and I said, hey, Joe, I, I'm feeling a little something. And because I'd had enough of these, I've been to the ER like four times alone, had the surgery to have them removed. Apparently having those kidney stones removed is not like a once in a lifetime deal. They come back and the doctors try to tell you what you can avoid eating. But they, they first of all, don't agree. Just so you know, if I've got any medical people in here, y'all give me a different answer every time. And uh, so I had one doctor said, you've got to give up either coffee or tea. And I said, great, I'll give up coffee. I didn't drink coffee anyway. It was awesome. <laughs> so I kept the tea. <laughs> Who cares? Anyway, so, so I, t I told Joe, I was like, I I'm feeling a little pain here. I, th I think I know what it is. But then again, I do have a 40-pound pack that I'm not used to carrying and a really tight belt like right around here. So maybe it'll go away. It didn't go away. So by the time we got to the car, I said, everybody needs to find the first hospital. So it was my, my minivan we were supposed to be driving. I just got in the back, like in fetal position, kind of like, find a hospital. How many of y'all know they don't build hospitals in the same areas where you go out in the middle of the wilderness to backpack? So by the time we finally got to a hospital, I was done, like done for. And, and true story. So in order to get the meds that you want, the more that you can express your desire for those meds, the better of a chance you're going to get them, right? I'm going to tell you two very important things about getting the right meds. The first one is express your need for them. Because if you walk in like a tough dude, well, you're going to sit in the waiting room because, well, you're a tough dude, and tough dudes can just sit and wait, there are more desperate patients. I wanted to make sure they knew I was one of the desperate patients. <laughs> Absolutely true story. So when they pulled the van, minivan up to the, the emergency opening, I began crawling <laughs> from the sidewalk. And in case you ever wondered if those little automated doors actually pick up two-foot-tall people, they do. And, and so they opened for me. And absolutely, I crawled in just like this, 
into the emergency room floor, all fours, right? And I go up to the, the counter where the nurse is, and I pull out my wallet that has my insurance card. <laughs> and as she looks over the counter, can I help you, sir? I'm having a kidney stop. And she knew exactly what to do, and I was not assigned a chair to wait or a form to fill out. Come on, yeah. There you go. That's how that works. Express, express your hunger for meds. You get them quicker. But I learned a second thing about getting meds, and that is do not tell them the meds you want. <laughs> the person who asks for morphine doesn't get morphine. And I just knew from experience that that other thing, that the D something, whatever, it, it doesn't work when I'm having a kidney stone. And they try to give you that first layer. It just doesn't work. I already knew that. So I'm like, that doesn't work. Give me morphine. Don't do that. Anyway, that's, that's, that's a sermon for another day. When, when have you expressed your deep desire for something? Maybe not even deep. How about this? Let's just start easy. When did you ever want to eat at a restaurant so bad you expressed that desire by being told, uh, well, there's a lot of people here, so you're going to have to just inhale the smell of a steak while you wait for an hour outside in the cold with this little buzzer. And we do it anyway, right? Because we express how much we're willing to eat at that restaurant. Or like we express how much we want to save $50 off of the latest TV model by getting up at 2 a.m. on Black Friday just so that we can all wait on watch on TV where you get stampeded in a Walmart later that day. It's always a Walmart. Have y'all noticed that? Where someone expresses their desire to save $50 at the expense of the human that was in front of them, right? <laughs> I remember one time in college, this guy expressed his celebration. His team won the World Series by streaking across campus, right? You, you guys hopefully haven't done that one. So, look, here, here's the obvious question. If we will express our emotions and our desires and our wants this much in everyday life, how do we do at expressing our hunger for God's presence? Y'all knew that's where I was going. I wasn't even trying to trick you today. Y'all saw that coming, didn't you? So people get run over by cars like, I couldn't have seen that one. I had no idea. How do we do at expressing our gratitude for eternal life? Is a question for you. Do you think it's up to each of us to just do whatever we want? Is it, did I get to just express myself any way I want? You get to express yourself any way you want? I mean, there would be a good argument for that. So I did a little homework this week, and, and I think I came up with an answer that says we actually don't get to just do the way we want what we think because there's like an example in the Bible. That's scary, isn't it, when the Bible shows us and you have to choose if you're going to do that or not. So here's what I'm just going to share with you a, a little short list, a short list of some of the things, not everything in the Bible, but some of the things that God thinks we're going to do when we come to worship him. And so, again, as we're deciding if it's just whatever we want or, or if God actually has an idea, I want to show you this. Uh, just look to the screen here, just a couple of them. The first one is we might actually kneel down. Because Psalm 95 says this, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. We might sing. And we might declare our gratitude. Psalm 95 says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving, speaking to him our thanks. We might tremble. I mean, can you imagine if the person beside you suddenly started just trembling? You'd probably go, Medic! 
safety team, emergency team, is there anybody here? And it might actually just be God. Because Psalm 96 says, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him. We might dance. Anybody? Come on. Dancers, okay? I'm not going to dance for y'all, just so you know. Psalm 149, though, says, let them praise his name with dancing. We might give an offering. First Chronicles says, ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name. How do we give him that glory? It says, bring an offering and come before him and worship the Lord. We might play instruments. And we might even do it loudly. You know, have you ever noticed, like, if you ever go to any church service, any worship service, they always start with, like, instruments and, and singing and music. And I hear this from guys all the time. Like, isn't there another way to do church? Because I don't like singing. Well, God apparently does. So play instruments and do it loudly. Psalm 150 says, praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with lute and harp, praise him with tambourine and dance, praise him with strings and pipe, praise him with sounding cymbals, praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Somebody don't tell the drummer that. Every week we try to get them to play softer, softer, softer. Don't tell them that. And it's loud, it's God's idea to be loud and the sound man's idea. So, you know, it's either God or the sound man. You blame one of them. We might stand in awe. Psalm 22 says, you who fear the Lord, praise him and just stand in awe of him. We might clap our hands. Come on, you ever wondered why we clap our hands so much? It says we might shout. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Psalm 47 says, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. We might lift up our hands. Psalm 134 says, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. So look. I mean, the Bible is full of the kinds of things that we could do to express our hunger for a supernatural God to show up and do supernatural things in our midst. The question is, why don't we do more of those? Why don't we do more of those when we're at home alone and your Spotify playlist is on? I mean, that'd be kind of weird. Somebody knocks on your door and they look through the window and you're in your living room on your knees, just like, you know, <laughs> that'd be weird. Or even funnier would be they look through the window and you're just dancing and you're doing like the, you know, some people just can't dance kind of dance. You know what I'm saying? Like the, only God loves when you dance like that. <laughs> so if we know it, why don't we? Well, I'm going to show you what I think is honestly the main reason that we don't worship like this. Our main passage today is out of 2 Samuel chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles and you want to follow along, go ahead and turn there. But if you don't have your Bible, don't worry. It's going to be on the screens right here. And, and let me just set the context to the passage we're about to do. Uh, they are bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. And you may say, so what? Well, let me explain that. In the Old Testament times, the presence of God was found essentially in a box. I hate, to, I hate to make it sound that way. It's a very fancy box, a very special box. But this was before what you and I have today. You know, people always like to say, I wish I'd have been born at another time. Life would have just been better if I was born at another time. Maybe they wish they were a medieval warrior and they hate studying algebra. I wish I could have been born in the 800s. Give me a sword. You know, that'd be awesome. And I've heard people tell me they love the Beatles so much they wish they could have been a hippie. They were a hippie born in the wrong generation or whatever. Here's the thing. We're born at the best time because we're born at a time where the presence of God lives inside of us. Wherever we are, he is there. We do not know 
as believers what it feels like to be separated from the presence of God. The only thing we could do, the only thing you may do to know and to feel that is to remember what it was like before you were a believer, before the Holy Spirit moved inside of you. That's the, that's the closest you're going to come. But they had a different experience. This was before God poured out the Holy Spirit. He was beginning to reveal how much people wanted to be with him. And at first, the first way he conveyed that was that he was only in this one place, this one box called the Ark of the Covenant. And it had been taken. And so now King David, the king of the Israelites, said, it's about time the presence of God is with God's people in God's land. And so they went to get the Ark of the Covenant. There's a lot of story that comes before it. We're not going to go back to all of that. But this is the point where David begins to enter into the city. Here he is. He's leading this procession. They're bringing the presence of God back home to their people. And we're picking it up in verse 16. As the Ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, his wife, watched from a window. Now, we're going to be tempted to talk about Saul and, um, uh, sorry, Michael and all of the things we could learn from her. I wish that I had like an extra hour with you and I would tell you all of the cool stuff I want to preach about Michael at this point. Like, hey, king's wife, why aren't you with the king when the presence of God is coming back? We're, we're not going to go there. We're not going to talk about her today because what we're looking at is the example David gave us. So we're going to resist the temptation, but do notice what happens. She's not with him. She looks out the window and it says, when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Now, here's the first, I've underlined three words because I want you to see these three words, king, leaping, and dancing. You see, the one thing that we expect of our leaders is that they represent us well. The one thing that a king was supposed to do was act like a king. The one thing he was supposed to do was make everybody else in the nation proud that he was their king, not act like a drunk dude at a frat party which is what she thinks is going on. That's, that's the way she's portraying this whole image, as we'll see in just a moment. But what he has said is, is, I'm not worried about being a king right now. I'm more worried about what I'm doing. I'm focused on the presence of God and bringing the presence of God back. And so we're going to skip the next few verses for the sake of time. I'm going to tell you what happens. He holds a little worship service. So he does some blessings and some prayers, and then he gives gifts to everybody who's there. Don't y'all wish I'd hey, here's your gift for coming today. Here's your gift for coming. We don't do that. Sorry about that. But anyway, so, so then he says, now I'm going to go to my house, and I'm going to take a gift to them, and I'm going to bring the blessing to them. We're going to pick up the story in verse 20. It says, when David returned home to bless his household, Michael, his wife, daughter of Saul, what used to be king, came out to meet him and she said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. So let me just go ahead and tell you, she obviously did not attend the love and respect life group. That was highly disrespectful of, of something to say to him there. But I, I just want to clarify this. For those of you that are reading the story, again, the version we're reading it in says he was half naked. So let's just stop and let's clarify what's going on. He was not half naked. He was not immodest in any way before the slave girls, before anyone else. What he was wearing was a linen ephod. And essentially, it was what you and I would either call a dress or a robe. A robe would probably be a better word. The reason, though, that she's so upset about this is because, well, that is what he's wearing instead of his kingly garments. 
all of that fancy stuff, all of the stuff that made him a king at some point in this journey. He had taken it all off. He had laid it aside. And the only thing that he's wearing now is just this really simple, probably undyed, meaning the cheapest, most natural version. It's probably some light brown, dirty white looking linen robe. It was the exact same thing that the Levites would have worn. And here's the problem. The Levites were commoners. They were common people. Yes, they worked in the temple, but they weren't the priests. They didn't even get to do the special stuff. They didn't even get to go on the stage, so to speak. They just did the grunt work. They were commoners. And so David, as king, has taken on the outfit of the most common people, and then he's dancing around like a crazy drunk person instead of acting like a king. And so she says to him, oh, how you've distinguished yourself today, talking about how he's humiliated himself. Little does she know she's right about him distinguishing himself. She's wrong about him humiliating himself because what did he actually do? He got God to say, this is a man after my own heart. I don't know about you, but I would love to have God say something like that about me. And if there is any way that I can so distinguish myself, tell me what it is. Well, that's what we're doing today. So here was David's answer to her. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord. And then he takes a little jab because he also did not go to the Love and Respect Life group. And since she disrespected him, he's going to be unloving towards her. It was before the Lord. Who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people? But, back to my point, I will celebrate before the Lord. Now, for some of you, this is the only thing you need to hear. The message is over at this point. This one sentence is everything because here's the issue. For Michael, the audience was the people. For David, the audience was God. Who's your audience? And that's the answer to, we know the whole list. We know that some people kneel down, some people raise their hands, some people shout, some people clap, some people dance. We know that that's what people did in the Bible. We know that that's the kind of stuff some people do. Why do we not because of our audience. And one word that David's about to use. He says, I will become even more undignified than this. It's about dignity. We need to maintain our dignity as we worship. And that's why we don't do the things that we know are options for us to do. Things that we know God might expect us to do. Why do we still not do them? Maintaining our dignity. But David says, look, I need you to know something, lady. I will become even more undignified than this. I will become humiliated in my own eyes, but by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. See, here's the thing about this dignity idea. Dignity is a human-to-human idea. It is a human-to-human word. Dignity is not in the Bible as something we are ever supposed to express to God. 
Do you, do you understand? Dignity is about taking pride in yourself and presenting yourself as worthy. That's what dignity means. When you talk about having dignity before another person, that means that you're supposed to be able to walk there. I'm as good a human as you. I, I deserve to be treated as well as you. Human rights, I've got as many human rights as you. And that's fine as a human to human term. But nowhere does the Bible say come into God's presence and express your worth and your pride in yourself. Dignity is not a word we're supposed to bring to worshiping him. And that's why when she tells him how humiliating he has been, how embarrassing he has been, how indignified he's been, he says, look, lady, if I can find any dignity left, I'll get rid of that too. If there is anything left in me to represent who I am as a king, as a great person, I will humiliate myself to get rid of that. Because when I come before God, none of that's going to be there. I'll embarrass you to whatever extent it takes. But for these slave girls, let me tell you something. Now, here's the question. How does he know what's going on inside of them? How does he know that they are not somewhere laughing at him as well. I mean, how can he know what's going on? We don't actually have that answer. But I'm going to tell you what I think it is. I read a leadership book recently, and it talked about how the one thing that every society in all of history has ever wanted from their leaders is that they be good leaders and take care of the people. That's it. They, they expect integrity. If you're the king, you can have a castle. I mean, people are okay with the king having a castle. It actually makes them feel good. <laughs> Our king has a bigger castle than your king. You know, I mean, we, we are actually okay with that. We're okay with the idea that our president is protected by people that keep him alive because it doesn't really look good if another country can take our president away without our, our say-so. You know, every society in all of history has said, it's okay that you, you get the guard and you get the army and you get the castle if you'll just be a good king. If you'll just be what you should be. Now follow this. Israel was the people of God. They were a nation of the people of God. They existed on the earth to worship the Lord God Almighty. That's it. Are you all with me? Okay, because we're going to do one of those A plus B equals C kind of things. Follow this. They existed on the earth only to worship the one true God. David was the king of these people. His job was not to boss them around. His job was not to be in charge. His job was to be the leader of God's people who only existed on the earth to worship the one true almighty God. You follow that? So therefore, David's only job was to be the first worshiper. Integrity for him was to be the best illustration of what it meant to say, God, you are great. Because that's the only reason that this entire nation was on the earth was to say, God, you are great. And so what he's saying is, look, these slave girls get it. The only thing you care about, Michael, is the fact that people used to think you were the king's daughter and you were impressed with the palace. You were impressed with the, your daddy's the king and you wanted people to look at you in your fancy dress and think you were something. And now you get your identity from me, your husband, and you want people to look at you and go, well, your husband's all cool and your husband's the king and your house is the palace and blah, 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 blah. And I don't care about that because what every other person cares about is whether or not I am the first worshiper on the earth. I'm the leader of the people that only exist to worship him. That's what David got. Real question for you and me is, what do we do with David's example? 
Am I encouraging you to show up next Sunday in your bathrobe and leap and dance around the aisles and tell your spouse to just get over it if they don't like it? No. Especially for those of you that don't dress appropriately under your bathrobe. <laughs> Wasn't in the notes. Shouldn't have said that. Anyway. No, here's what we should do. Two keys, very, very simple. Two, two things. Number one, never forget this. Expressive worship for you is not the same as it is for me and is not the same as it is for you. And that is why we cannot come in here and look down the aisle and judge what another person is doing. That We, we cannot come in here and look and, and see whereas one person begins a song and as they begin that song, they are struck with awe and with wonder and that may cause them to do one thing whereas another person sings the same song and they're struck with joy and celebration and it may cause them to do something completely different and still another person is struck with gratitude and it may cause them to do something else. Every one of those will look completely different. We cannot judge another person for what's happening on the outside of them which leads us to the second key. So again, we cannot judge a human by their outward expressions when they worship. But God can. Which means our expressions matter. Because while you don't need to look down the row, while you don't need to decide if you're doing a better job than the person beside you, God in heaven looks down and looks at you. And what we need to show him is that what's going on in here is the same as what's going on out here. And that what's going on in here is true to what he's done for us. Because God can see. Here's a nerd moment for you. The original meaning in the biblical languages for the word worship if you were to look in the New Testament, we're looking at the Greek language. If you look in the Old Testament, we're looking at the Hebrew language. And you say, what does it actually mean? We say worship. And I, I did this in the first week. I said, I'm going to say the word worship. What comes to your mind? I'm going to tell you what the Bible actually says the word worship means. It means bow down. It means bow down. It's an actual physical posture before the Almighty God in heaven. So here's the thing. When we come in here and we begin to sing song, it may not be a dance with all your might moment for you. It may not be a shout with celebration moment for you. It may not be a kneel down and cry moment for you. But it probably is never a stands with your hands in your pocket moment. Because that's not bowing down. It's hard to say that we're even doing that inside when this is the posture that we have before the King of Kings who died on the cross voluntarily for us so that we could be saved and go to heaven. As we stand and worship and we imagine the horrors of hell and the gift of God that we don't go there and the wonders of heaven and eternal life there. Is this really the posture? And the question is, how can we be stoic if we truly grasp the reality of the moment? See, I, I want you to think about it this way. We are allowed 
to come into the presence of the one true holy God. See, part of the story that happened before the story we read was someone actually touched the ark in a way they were not supposed to, and what happened? They died. God actually struck them dead on the spot because they mishandled the presence of God. And honestly, I think we've just kind of become inoculated, if for lack of a better word. We've become inoculated to the presence of God because the presence of God is everywhere on the earth and the presence of God dwells inside of every believer. And we have forgotten the privilege and the awe that should come over us when we think about that. And so the idea of being able to, first of all, just walk freely without fear of a lightning strike into a gathering of God's people to worship him in a place where not only is he present, but as Kent spoke about last week, there's a critical mass of of the numbers of, of vessels carrying the presence of God as that just begins to build and build and build and it goes from one to two to hundreds of people in a room that are all carriers of that presence and they bring an expectation, they bring a hunger and you can just feel the energy and, and you can walk into that moment without fear of being struck dead because you are forgiven, you are redeemed, the Spirit of God lives in you, heaven is coming and the best thing we can do is go... I don't know about you, but something just seems off. When I wrote this message, I, I didn't want to make anybody feel guilty for how they worship, make anybody feel bad. And, and my, my whole plan was I didn't think that there really was a right or wrong answer to this message. I really thought all I'm going to do is, is just come in here and, and, and tell you what I've told you and list out the things that are in the Bible and, and just encourage you like a, a mother bird. Come on, you can fly now. Just encourage you to get a little out of your comfort zone. That, that maybe next week you would, you would just, just. Little golf clap. And over time, you know, you just. A couple of weeks, you know, just, I was just going to encourage you to get out of your comfort zone. But as I worked on the message, as I prayed, as I worked through this, I discovered there actually is a right and there is a wrong. Now you're scared, aren't you? There is a right. We'll put it on the screen for you so you can't miss it. Here's what's right when we come to worship God. We must compare our expressions in life with our expressions in worship. It's that simple. We must compare our expressions in life with our expressions in worship. You know that video you saw earlier? I, I don't want anybody scared thinking that like we just walk around with a video camera looking for the one person who, who doesn't look like they're worshiping so we can capture you. Are y'all all afraid now you saw that video? Just so you know, that was completely staged. It was staged. You never need to fear a video camera in, in worship as you're worshiping. That was not even during a worship service. That was, that was totally staged. And matter of fact, the two people that were in that video, that was Frank and Rachel. And Frank and Rachel, they're actually pretty new to Grace Life. They just started coming about August of this year. One of the last Sundays over in our old building, back where the front row and the stage were like two feet apart. And we were still looking and trying to figure out who is our new worship pastor. And so every Sunday I was praying, God, let today be the day you, you just send somebody. You just send them to our church and they have a heart for worship and they're our new worship pastor. And so when Frank did something no one else ever does, 
because you know nobody ever stood on the front row with me over there it was just like like I said it was two feet from the stage so I was all alone I had a whole front row to myself you know like 20 or 30 seats and, and Frank comes in with his wife never been to the church before walks all the way up to the front row song starts and he does this and I go thank you God a worship pastor because nobody on earth would do that but a worship pastor this has got to be the worship pastor and so right after the service I go up in one of those discreet covers hey there I'm Jimmy just so you know I stand in a spot so y'all can come and talk to me if I come to you Holy Spirit's doing something and when I went to Frank say hey man tell me about yourself Turns out he can't sing or play a lick. I was so disappointed. <laughs> but he does love God. He loves God. And that's why we did use him for the video, because we didn't want to pick on anyone. We used someone that was doing the exact opposite of their nature. He's going to do what you see in the video. Here's what I think God would challenge you to. So how do you express yourself when you're not in this room? I did a marriage counseling appointment this week and, and uh, the, the husband and the wife were, they were kind of talking about how she's like, he just walked out of the house. I don't know what he was saying. He just walked out of the house. He just like left. And he looked at me and said, I was mad. <laughs> he said, when I get angry, everybody knows I'm angry. So I just had to leave. Here's my point. Everybody knows when you're angry, right? If everybody in your life knows what's going on inside of here, then why doesn't everybody in a room of worship know what's going on inside of here? They should be the same. How do you celebrate in life? If you, if you don't know this, some of you have to forgive me for it, but I'm an avid Duke fan. I'm, I'm a massive Duke fan. And you know what that, that means? We've had a lot of those just wonderful last second win by one crazy shots. We've also had those utter disappointments where we should have beat them by 20 and we lost by 20. You know, those kind of things. It's just, it's just up and down. And there was this one game where we're playing UNC. That's everything, right? And... Uh, we, we were, in my opinion, lost. We had one second left, and there was it was not going to happen. I, I was around for the shot against Kentucky in college. I remember that one, but, you know, you know this was different. And I, I just it was a regular season game, and I'm sitting in my living room, and another Duke fan in the church has come over. He's watching the game. My, my son's watching the game with me, and, and, and there's less than a second left, and we just don't have one of those teams this year kind of thing. We don't have one of those, it's okay, just get so-and-so the ball, and we'll get it. And so with one second left, I'm already emotionally prepared to look at my phone and start seeing my UNC fan friends, if I could use that word loosely. I mean, I'm just, it just happens. They don't even know I exist all year long until UNC wins a game. Like, hey man, I'm still alive and y'all lost, woo! So I'm just, I'm seriously emotionally not doing well. I'm in this place like, and I'm sitting on my ottoman with my head and my hands looking at the TV and they give the ball to a stupid freshman <laughs> that was at least supposed to be a distraction so that he could pass it to somebody who would actually make the shot. And sure enough, the stupid freshman does what stupid freshmen do, which is freak out, not pass the ball and just throw it up. And it goes in. And I kid you not, 
I left the ottoman with a full leap and I jumped and I landed across the room and bounced off of the other guy jumping and both 40 year old men are jumping just like this in my living room, yes! And it wasn't even a championship. And we come in here and say, I am saved, I am saved, I am changed forever. I'll never be the same. Jesus, you are great. You have saved me. I have eternal life because of you. And it gets less from me than a lucky shot. So here's the thing. Worship team, come on out. You don't need to compare yourself to the person beside you. You don't need to look at them and decide if they're worshiping accurately. You need to just compare yourself to yourself. If somebody walks up and hands me a winning lottery number, how am I gonna act? And if your response is $10 billion, that's nice. Then maybe that is how you worship when you think of eternal life. Whatever it is you do in life, I do know some of us are more expressive than others. So I'm not here to tell you a certain action is right or a certain action is wrong for you. What I'm here to tell you is whoever you are in this life, God deserves that or more. If we're going to celebrate when we get a check, if we're going to celebrate when we win the lottery, lottery, if we're going to celebrate when we win a game, then we need to celebrate that we've been saved by our Lord Jesus. We, We just need to be true to who we are. If you're a guest here, you're probably wondering, what is going on? Because today, nothing is normal. If you're not a guest, you're wondering, what is going on? Because we saved all of worship. That's, that's why everything's messed up. Normally, at this point, you're looking at the watch. You're trying to figure out how to get in the front of the line at Moe's. Not today. Today, we've got all of our worship because we thought there is no better way to actually apply what we've talked about than right here and right now. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.